welcome, welcome, welcome back to Rise to Purpose podcast. My name is David Rochelle III, and I'm your host. I'm super excited today because, yo, you have no idea how much I am just in awe of this gentleman that I'm about to have speak to you. Uh, the way that he speaks, I mean, it commands your attention, and it's just a, a blessing to have him available and be able to share his knowledge, his expertise, and just his perspective, you know, overall in uh, all of his years and expertise. Uh, not only does he have formal education, but he has a life education unlike anyone that I know. This man taught me how to think when I was an undergraduate at Grandma State University, and he continues to make people think around him. Uh, he is the head of sociology and psychology at Grandma State University, my alma mater, and he's also my fraternal brother with Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. I welcome to Rise of Purpose podcast, Dr. Kevin Washington. How are you doing, Dr. Washington? Brother Rochelle, thank you for that introduction. Rise, man, I like that. That is, that is powerful. And yes, it was indeed a pleasure to, to be your instructor uh, at, at Grambling as I was finishing up my doctoral degree and then also to uh, uh, be, be the, in the fraternal order of of the real men of Omega Psi Phi fraternity. And, uh, and I'm just really impressed with the work that you are doing to help us to become uh, and to be better. So I thank you for, for uh, forcing me to also think and to become better. So uh, it's, it's an honor and a pleasure to be a part of your, uh, your production. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate the accolades. So what I really wanted to dive into, because I think it's important that people hear your perspective on this, uh, as a subject matter expert, um, you know, I, we've been talking about mental health. I've been talking about it. You know, I mentioned prior to this podcast, you know, my, uh, you know, my challenges that I've gone through and then how I had to deal with certain things. But, you know, I, I would love for our audience to hear uh, about, you know, defining mental health in the Black community and how you address it with, you know, not only with yourself, with friends, friends family, you know, patients. So I'd love to hear your perspective on mental health in the black community. You know, I mean, it's, it's really exciting. I want to put this out that we are doing some work with uh, the Boris L. Henson Foundation around cultural, cultural competency uh, training for uh, mental health professionals, right? So we help, help people to ground themselves in the understanding of the uh, mental wellness uh, element of the black community. I think too many times this has been overlooked and so I'm excited about that work. I'm also a member of the Association of Black Psychologists. I'm one of the, the a former president of that organization. And so that, uh, that group is also engaged in the same process of making sure that we receive uh, adequate uh, medical, uh, mental health attention. As a matter of fact, that one of the earliest cases was a Larry P. versus Riles case in which there was a, a look at how mental health testing was done. Uh, mental testing was done, educational testing for uh, black children in California. And it was found that, as it is still today, that the uh, large number of children that are on the lower end of special ed programs are African-American. And so they were suggesting then that, uh, that there was some problem with the testing. I say they because I was but a child myself, maybe, you know, barely two or three years old when they were doing this work, this organization. And so this is some of the earlier uh, works of the organization, and, it's, and the, the battle continues. Uh, and I think that we're in a space now to talk about uh, what does it really mean to be mentally well uh, or sane as a person of African descent. 
And I don't think that we've done a good enough job of talking about that, right? We know about trauma and we understand the impact and influence of trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. People know about post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. And somehow we want to superimpose that particular uh, post-construct onto uh, African and our black reality. But that is an improper uh, uh, juxtaposition because what happens is that when we talk about post, post means it is over. The person that created the term post was engaging in uh, doing work, performing therapy with individuals that had returned from a war. And so it, they were no longer in a warring situation, and therefore it was post-trauma, meaning that, that they are now beyond the war in situation. Is they're beyond the gunfire and, and those things. And so as a result, this is a repairing of them in a post-moment. And mm-hmm. I ask the question, uh, when have we been in a post-moment? So we can't use the mm-hmm. word post because post means past. And that's therefore, rather than talk about post-traumatic slave syndrome and post-traumatic slave disorder, uh, I talk about persistent enslavement systemic trauma. Mm-hmm. And that is, it is a pest, P-E-S-T. It is persistent. It is ongoing. Uh, it is about, about the enslavement ideology. The ideology that, that suggested that Europeans are superior to Africans, and as a result, that creates a, a, a deeper conversation about the Ma'afa, and the Ma'afa is what we would call the, uh, some call the slave trade, but it wasn't a trade, David, a trade is a swap, right, where you're exchanging one thing for another. Uh, where was the benefit uh, to Africa in this idea of human cargo being released into the hands of Europeans? So it was mm-hmm. no swap. It was no trade. And it wasn't a middle passage, right? Because mm-hmm. it wasn't like walking down a hallway when you talk about breaking up families and beating people and sodomizing them and brutalizing them, right, raping and pillaging them, right? When you hear those narratives, those deep uh, narratives about what took place, it will astound you. And then we talk about the enslavement uh, trauma, uh, the, uh, the systemic element, that is, that mm-hmm. it runs through every aspect of our lives, right? What we name ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the question about what do I name my child so that they will be safe uh, in, in, in this country? Think about what that means. That's a traumatic moment. What I have to think about, I'm going to name my child Brittany so that she will be able to, nobody will know that, 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 that she is black. Right. Yeah, but, and true. I actually had a student that told me that she says, well, Professor, you're right. My parents named me Brittany because they didn't want people to know that I was black. Well, Brittany, they're going to have to see you one day. But the point is the trauma of naming a child. What school do I attend? What foods do I eat? Do I eat watermelon around white people? Right. All of these things are mm. perpetual traumatic experiences that people don't even recognize as, as a phenomenon. And then, of course, trauma means a disruption to one's well-being. So. Uh, in in short, we, that wasn't that wasn't your actual question, but I wanted to put out there that when we talk about mental health within the African American uh, perspective, we look at a social cultural phenomenon to mm-hmm. explain it as well as an interpersonal one. And so that the social cultural one is that there's this environment that we live in that we experience, uh, and that environment has been one of racism and oppression and human denigration, and um, and so we look at it interpersonal because there are things that you and I have encountered that are directly a part of our families or some other experiences that also shape our psychological well-being. And so, uh, so this, is, this is kind of the foundation for, for this, what, what I call the discussion about a black mental health, mental health in the African-centered perspective. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it great, that's great because it makes sense to understand that we're not past anything. We're not past the traumas uh, and the stress that we deal with 
on a daily basis. You know, with you mentioning the aspect of, you know, what to name our children. Dr. Washington, I actively made sure that I went through the process of uh, naming my daughters. You know, I have four daughters. I, I went through the active process of making sure that when their resume crossed a white person's desk, they would have an opportunity. And that's all I wanted, an opportunity, an unbiased opportunity for that person to read their resume and consider them for the job. And I, I did that with all four of my daughters. And, you know, it's just, it, it's something that, of course, we, we, we don't naturally think about it, you know, in the front of our conscious, but it's in the back of our head. It's always working. And that's, it's stressful because no parent wants to be, you know, known for, okay, I named my child this and it's been a barrier to life, you know, in whatever aspect or element it may be. And then you think about, you know, going into, you know, uh, and I definitely want you to touch upon, you know, looking at the athletes, you know, Simone Biles and things of that sort, you know, how she, you know, has brought it to light that, you know, athletes deal with it as well. So I, I know you have some thoughts on there and other athletes. Can you uh, kind of share with us what your thoughts are as far as what's going on? You know, uh, so I'm thinking about back to you and your work uh, as a student at Grambling. And so you were working with athletes uh, uh, then, and so you're still doing some of the same things now. And so what I, what I would uh, I would say, I want to go back to something that you said about uh, the anxiety of naming a child, right? And how how simple and innocuous that seems to some people. You just simply name a child. Mm-hmm. However, the thought that went into it, if I name her this, if I name her that, this is what could happen. That's trauma. That's an impact of trauma that has been passed on. Riaz and, uh, Diaz and Resla did research uh, that indicated to us how mice can pass down tra- traumatic responses. These mice would have a whiff of orange blossom, and at the same time, they would be shocked. So they then would associate the orange blossom smell with the discomfort of the shock. They then would have the orange blossom smell, fragrance with no shock. Their bodies would have a visceral response to the orange blossom smell. These mice would have pups, and these pups would have the orange blossom smell with no shock, and their bodies would have a visceral response. These Mm. pups would grow up and they would have pups, have the orange blossom smell, and still the same visceral response, that the memory of the trauma was passed down at least to two generations of mice. Now, we are not mice, but we are mammals. And so the idea of passing down some elements of trauma uh, are there. Resla told me when when I met him at another event, he said that we also teach them to repair uh, in the context of trauma through having them to learn adaptive skills so that that is also transmitted uh, in the DNA. And so that becomes the recovery process. My point is this is the power of therapy in the black community, that mm. we have this trauma that we having to contend with. And it's important for us to understand that mental health uh, treatment is imperative, right? It's, it's, it's something that we must do in order to begin to normalize ourselves to respond differently to certain things. Who 
Who gives a care what your child is named? Why must your child be named in the context of Europeans? Why is it that there's a need to have to navigate a space controlled by somebody who doesn't like you in order to be able to uh, get the things that you need? Think about all that. that all of that is what, is what you were dealing with. But when you get to a point of liberation, that is freeing yourself from that, it changes the dynamics around you. And now you're beginning to heal uh, mm -hmm. from the trauma that not you, what you experience, but what your grandmother experienced. Now, how can I say that? Because when your mother was born, uh, conceived inside of your grandmother, your mother had the eggs that she would carry that became who you are. Mm -hmm. which means then in reality you were created inside of your grandmother mm -hmm. right so that is that would explain why there would be this epigenetic pass down of content of how to respond because inside of of especially females right they're just generations of individuals that exist so a female child is two people right she's not only um three she's not only her grandmother and her mother but she's also that which can come come from her so that's a fourth reality this is powerful to know about so this is why we have to talk about uh you know black mental health and and what you talk, what, what you described about uh, your experiences the the trauma of such and so let's talk about talk about as you mentioned uh simone biles and others the idea of sports psychology and mm -hmm. the pressure and there are three women well actually four women that that dealt with some very significant issues uh around uh mental health just for this recent olympic event mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we can even talk about a fifth phenomenon, which is what deals with the uh, with with the cap, right? The idea of having the Afro cap or the cap for uh, women, black women that have full of hair, full of hair that was denied by the um, the Olympic Committee. Mm -hmm. So we have, of course, Simone who had a major uh, a, a phenomenon to take place where she didn't, she fell out of order, and she's still being questioned as if she is supposed to be the super Negro, a Negress to save the country. And, and she's, she's doing all this for a country that doesn't even like her. And we know we, we can say this because uh, of, of what happened in January 6th. We're talking about the Black Lives Matter process. So, mm -hmm. so it's, for, it's for, for a space that doesn't even really honor who she is as a woman. Just go mm -hmm. out and perform for us, right? Suni Lee, an Asian. You talk about the attack on Asians. And then, and then uh, uh, um, uh, Jordan Childs, right? So we, all of this issue, the, the people that are carrying the weight for the country are those mm -hmm. that are the most despised for the country. So, so now you're you not, not only carrying racism and oppression, she's also carrying the sexual violation that took place with the particular uh, a tra a trainer that was involved in her life on top of having to carry the entire flag for the country because this was called the Simone Biles Olympics, right? So that's a heavy burden. Right. Um, uh, Shikari Richardson uh, learning from the reporter that her biological mother had died uh and and nobody even questioned the integrity of the reporter that mm. would sit in an interview and drop a bomb like that because there's there's time before the interview that there's talk and right. there could have been talk to say shikara your mother just uh, died i'm not sure if you know this how do you feel about doing this interview but no you want to drop a bomb to sensationalize a black woman's life right and um. then and, and and this is this is after seeing uh, well, the, if if you watch her win the race, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that she won. She ran to her grandmother, and her grandmother had three black men around her. So she was embracing this idea of family. So that was something that was fueling her to 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 run on top of learning about her mother's her mother's death. And then we have um, uh, Simone uh, Manuel, the the swimmer who had uh, overtrained, and she was psychologically taxed, and so she had to pull back from from training. But she still made it to the Olympics, and I'm understanding that she's performed fairly well. So the point is that. These women, uh, three women, uh, have really talked about or brought to the forefront in athletics, black women, <laughs> athletics and, and psychology and health mm-hmm. and healing. And then uh, we can add the, add the uh, um, uh, uh, other conversation around uh, Gwen Berry, who made a decision to not stand for the national anthem. And, and people became, I mean, not to, uh, stand on the podium when she won in the trials. People were trying to figure out, well, why was that such such a big deal? Because they had, you normally play the national anthem at the beginning of the trials and never again uh, at the at the trials. And so people didn't know that. So she was told that they would not play the anthem. So she was cool with standing on the podium, and they played the anthem anyway. Right? Think about mm. that psychological disruption. Right? So here's a here's a psychological piece where she's won the event. She's going in for a country that she's having conflicts with. Right. The idea of the, the anthem does not represent my people, but I will mm-hmm. do this for for the love of the sport. And then they mess with her by throwing in something that they had agreed to not to do. Mm. Psychological disruption. Right. So we have all these things happening and people try to figure out, well, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. Just really, it's just a song. And you just get up there. No, you're messing with people's psychological well-being and let right. people call it out. And so this these things we have to be able to look at the interpersonal piece and the social cultural one and understand that this is a part of our lives every single day. No, absolutely. No. Um, wow. That's deep. You know, <laughs> and as I mentioned to our, our audience, uh, I mean, this is, this is what Dr. Washington does. I mean, he, he helps us with understanding the things that we, we take for granted, things that we're unaware of. And, you know, it, of course we like saying, you know, Hey, you know, I, I want to stay woke, you know, and, you know, he, he helps us with staying awake. Uh, and man, I, I hope that you're getting as much as I am out of this with uh, having Dr. Washington on this podcast. Uh, you know, and just taking a look at just you know how you've broken down everything in regards to um, you know the stresses and the traumas that we're going through uh, on a daily basis. I mean, things that we are unaware of um, when it comes to mental health and even therapy. Um, what I mean. At this point, I mean, it's it's like everyone, almost everyone, you know, every black person should have some form of therapy. But on the other end, there's stigma and there's like lack of, you know, um, I don't want to say lack of resources, but maybe not as many resources available. You know, how do we address, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, getting the help that we we know that we need at this point? You know, it's it's important. Uh, to recognize how to become realigned psychologically and spiritually. And many mm-hmm. times we have like the, the black church saying that, uh, you know, you, you don't need, all you have, to, you have to do is call on the name of Jesus, be, you know, re, the renewing of your mind, those kind of things. And, 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 the, and the mosque may say something very similar. And so we, we hear this conversation where, you know, what we don't need. Uh, and a sermon is good. And a sermon, uh, a lecture can provide some information and some context. 
And then there's some deep down cleansing that we have to do within ourselves, right? Some repair, some restructuring that is important. Uh, it's, it's, it's no differently from hearing a good lecture about a good diet, but until you begin to stop and eat the right food, your body is not going to respond differently. So, so, so you can hear about it and feel good. Like, you know, that was really good information. I should eat more fruit. I should eat more vegetables. I, mm -hmm. should, I should do this. But when you start to do it, when you start to, start to engage in it, that's when you start to feel a difference. When your body starts having a withdrawal from the sugar that it's been accustomed to, you know, that's a whole other conversation. When you uh, start <laughs> back working out and your muscles are sore, I mean, you, you're like, how am I going to get up and do this again? Well, the same thing happens psychologically, right? When you start to begin to uh, peel back some, some scabs, some layers on some things, there is some pain that comes up and there is a need for some support to guide you through that process. Let me give you an, an example of a, of a scab on a wound. That when we began to look closely at what took place with George Floyd um, we, in 2020, we will clearly see that this was an act of a lynching. So it was, it was no different from a public lynching that took place when we see those pictures of people hanging from trees, what uh, Billy Holiday talks about, strange fruit. This is the same practice and process that took place then. So we're not seeing a new thing take place, but it is, was a re-traumatization of a population. When we look at uh, Breonna Taylor and, and running into slave quarters and running into the apartment building and, 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 and just shooting up in the apartment, and the only uh, recourse was that uh, the police fired a fire shots that endangered the lives of whites that were next to her. Uh, mm. That was the problem uh, that mm. was found in that case. That is a re-traumatization. When you have uh, the patty rollers or you have the uh, slave patrol or you have the individuals, the militia that went and took over Ahmad Arbery and shot him down in the streets and were allowed to be free for months while this was under investigation. We're not talking about a day or two. We're talking about three months. We're talking about months that people, that, that these men were able to get a whole lot of things in order uh, b b before this happened. But there's a lot of cover-up. So the point we're making is that these are remembrances of the experiences of being traumatized uh, in this country, this idea of the enslavement experience. So we have to be clear that we're not, again, in this post moment, that we have these reoccurrences of uh, the experience of being dehumanized. And then on top of that, we utilize language uh, from the oppressor to describe our highest order of relationships, right? So when we start using the N-word, that is a pass down, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Nigger is a breakdown from the word nigger. Nigger is a derogatory form of the word Negro. Negro comes from the Spanish word necra. Necra uh, uh, comes, uh, means, uh, uh, you know, uh, dark or black. And necro comes from necro for Portuguese, which means death. And so we are using the oppressor's languaging to mm. describe our reality. And then mm -hmm. we say that is just who we are and how we are, are to function. And so, and that when we take it, we are actually uh, somehow making it better but, uh, uh, you know, because we're taking ownership of it. But if it started off as feces and if, and if I put a put it in a bag and put a bow on it, it's still feces. It doesn't matter what it is. It's still some feces. And so I clean my up my, my statement. I usually say another word for feces, but I, you know, I'm yeah. talking with you, David. So I say it this way. But <laughs> but the idea is that is that is that we need to not just 
try to clean up foolishness, but to understand that it's a part of our identity. Look at the language that we use. We call our women bitches, and a bitch is a female dog. And so there, that, there then is this non-human entity that we, we're saying. So we, so we call ourselves niggas, and we call ourselves bitches, and then, and then we call people hoes, right? And so, so we have this uh, inhumane discourse to be the mm. highest order of relationship but, but among a people. If, uh, if, the, if the N-word was interchangeable with brother, I could say, ooh, I can, I'm going to mess my brother up. You can't, you, you can't F your brother up. It doesn't even fit. But right. when you dehumanize them, right, when you say, I'm going to F that nigga, that's a whole nother statement because they're no longer human. And so right. here's why this is important. It's important because we have learned to exist uh, under this state of being uh, seen as non-humans and, and that being our position and status in life. And so mm. we allow certain things to happen to us and happen through us and around us without even taking action because we really uh, don't matter. But when we talk about being psychologically uh, repaired, the healing process, we begin to see ourselves as being humans and having agency to make change in our life. And so, so there are things that we have to do. Uh, to to look at the healing one we have to make sure that we find uh, therapists that are culturally competent that there mm -hmm. are therapists that are aware of what's in the cake for us and when i say that i mean that even though i don't taste egg in a cake i don't see egg in a cake there is egg in the cake right that mm -hmm. that my aunt made right and so the reality is that there are certain things that you may not see that are a part of who we are, our psychological well-being, and this social cultural stuff, this idea of racism and oppression and being dehumanized, right? The idea of gerrymandering and voter suppression and public lynching and devaluation of life and the recounting of the January 6th in the hearing about uh, 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 you all are going to know what niggas are like today. I mean, hearing the hearing the testimony from the police officers. Uh, brings about the uh, the elevation of trauma within a population that has had this for years. So it was in your grandmother, and it was in her grandmother. It was in, right? it's, it's generations of this stuff that has not uh, been addressed. So a therapist must be culturally competent and also uh, be willing to go into those murky areas. So yes, David, on one hand, you have these personal experiences, and yes, uh, these things are important uh, around depression and sadness, and then... There's a cultural part to this that we examine and how do we help you to repair within that process. And then the third element is someone who is able to utilize techniques that are consistent uh, with your worldview, your, your well-being. How do you see the world? I mean, there's a reason that we have a fraternity, uh, 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 Omega Psi Phi, or we have the fraternity of, of, of the other ones. They have uh, Calp Alpha Psi and Phi Beta Sigma and uh, Alpha Phi Alpha and I and uh, uh, Iota Phi Theta. All right, it's, it's, it's important to know this, that, that, and then the sororities. It's important to know that, that they exist in part because uh, we want to talk about just men for a moment, came together to establish organizations to, uh, to recognize black manhood in this country. Mm -hmm. uh, so threatened, Cap Alpha Psi has, has two names, right? Phi Nu Pi and Cap Alpha Psi, because in Indiana they were. Threatened, right? Uh, one of the hubs, bastions of the Ku Klux Klan, right? And so, so that's there. And then Omega Sci Fi is the first one to be found on a historically black college. But in, at that time, 
when the men founded the organization, it was a concern that if black men got together, they would actually form a coup against the United States government. And so uh, all organizations were looked at very closely as being anti-government organizations. This is These are facts. But the reason why I mentioned this is mm-hmm. that it's not because of those issues about existing in America. I mentioned it because if you look at white fraternities, they exist in college and that's it. Everything else mm. is kind of gone. For mm-hmm. us, they we do we do a lot of our work not only undergrad, where there's the there's the the fun uh, of undergrad, and then there's the other part of fun and business. Uh, uh, business some some have more fun in business and vice versa. But the idea <laughs> of business in the community to help to make things better, in part because that is a pass over a pass down from African societies where we had secret societies that, that, that did this kind of work. I mean, think about one of our, our big organizations, I mean, big activities is the Omega Omega service, right? We gather at the death of a mm-hmm. brother and we engage in ritual. And if a family member is in need, we are there servicing the family member. That is an African tradition, not a European one, right? And so mm-hmm. we have these, these elements of healing and repair that exist. Therapy with somebody who understands who we are as a people will further um, uh, enliven that, imbue that to help help us to become a whole and healthy again as well. Mm, mm, mm. Woo! <laughs> is uh, yeah, that that's that's a seven course meal you just provided to us, uh, Doctor Washington. I hope y'all got that. I hope you received that. Um, that is, uh, yeah, that's coming to you for free. I mean, you, you got to think. I mean, this man, you know, he. He has made a living by helping people become whole and realigning themselves. And so, Dr. Washington, I really appreciate your time today. I know that not only for myself, but I can speak for my audience. Uh, we've learned once, you know, I've learned once again, I know that they've learned who you are, what you're about, and the value you bring to this podcast and to the world in itself. So I, I thank you for joining us today. Um, man, I would love to have you back uh, whenever I can fit on your schedule and get us back in. But uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. David, thank you uh, for allowing me to be here. I wanted to I wanted to to, to give these practical things to our our, our our people, to our family. Right. Your your listeners. Yeah. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of this, to 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 think about this. Right. To think about people who engage in physical activity uh, like jogging often have a boost in their cognitive function or thought processes. Right. So uh, events of infrequent Low intensity physical activity can improve your mental uh, capacity. Why is that important? Is because when people are dealing with a high level of stress, as you already know, there's a buildup of uh, of adrenaline, which causes a buildup of cortisol, and cortisol can cause plaque in the arteries, which which contributes to hypertension, a high high blood pressure, which over a period of time can cause coronary heart disease, which can cause death. Racism is a major contributor to those to uh, coronary heart disease within black people. We must mm-hmm. engage in physical low intensity activities to improve our artery functioning. And, and we flush those things out, the adrenaline, and then start to reduce the cortisol level by engaging uh, in activities. Uh, I want to give two more points. I think of very, uh, two more activities, burning and earning, right? The idea of people who exercise three or more times a week earn earn and nearly 10% more than those who do not, right? So let's mm. go back to the idea that people who, who exercise three uh, more times a week earn more because it improves, one, your mood, secondly, your energy level, 
and as a result, your productivity, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to be clear that, again, the things that we live with and live under and have to go through actually are things that, that uh, are, are slowing us down from, from being uh, uh, successful in life. And the last one I want to share uh, with you, and there, there are many more, but uh, the study done uh, in Brit Britain and in America show that people who ate uh, two or more servings of fruit uh, and our vegetables, fruits and our vegetables, uh, reported being happier than those who do not, right? And so we see then that eating live food can improve your health. And why is this important? It's important because not only can the live foods improve your mood, but it can bind with certain elements in your system, uh, the toxins, and have, have them to be removed. We know that live fruits, for example, can remove uh, uh, the toxins that's found in uh, bad water. So not only Flint, Michigan was not only an issue of environmental racism, where you had the toxic elements with inside of the of the uh, uh, the water, but also the communities that they were in were known as food deserts because they did not have uh, uh, high levels of produce in those in those areas that we we get the toxins, the lead all the time in our system. But when we consume uh, live foods, fruits and vegetables, uh, the binding process of pulling those out of the system is higher. And I'm not saying that, that it would have done a whole lot here, but it would have done something uh, mm -hmm. for their, their system because the lead was already in the, in the water. It was the issue of the chemical that exacerbated the, the lead being released. Uh, and so we, we know that, again, eating those, those things, and we make a conscious effort as a people to eat death every single day as opposed to eating life. And so we eat more death. We eat dead stuff that is dead. Oh, I love this steak. It's cool. Uh, however, uh, how much life did you have along with that, right, that <laughs> helps to move things forward and move things out? And so I will encourage our people to recognize that that movement uh, improves uh, thought processes, that uh, 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 burning uh, helps you to earn more money. And the third thing is to consume uh, foods that, that are, are alive because they help you to be happier. We, we walk around mad all day long about stuff, you know, just mad. And sometimes we have a good, a good reason to be mad, but just mad sometimes because we have, have nothing to be mad about. But, but the point is that uh, people who are happier uh, tend to draw that energy to them and they're able to be successful in life as you are, David. So that is, that is it, just sharing that food for thought with our people, practical stuff to do, uh, as well as think about the social cultural stuff and the individual stuff. So, so thank you again for inviting me to be a part of your uh, wonderful uh, activity of making us rise and win. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> rise and win. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Dr. Washington. And as I mentioned to you before, uh, this, this has been wonderful. And of course, the purpose of this podcast is to make sure that you know better so then you can do better and be better. And by you being better as an individual, this world is a better place. Until next time, my name is David Rochelle III as your host uh, and continue to rise to purpose and have a blessed day. <laughs>